0: Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, and more. Are there any more? There's probably more, but it's all over the place. Uh, podcast, where we talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. Today, I'm joined with Mark Willis, who has some interesting stuff to talk about. It, it, we're gonna try to take the topic of life insurance and make it really exciting. Is, is that fair, Mark?
1: <laughs> that's a tall order but yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know so so just so the, the viewers know I, I heard a podcast where Mark was a guest and then I heard one of Mark's podcasts because you have your own show and you were talking about how you were able to use certain insurance products uh, in order to provide liquidity and borrowing and and all this kind of stuff and and some of the topics that you were talking about Raised some curiosity with me. In fact, I reached out to my own life insurance guy and started asking him a few questions uh, to try to figure out, you know, what these opportunities might be. And then I and I thought, hey, let's get Mark on the show um, because this is obviously something you're you're familiar with talking about with people. Um, and why don't we start off by just, if you wouldn't mind, give our my audience a little bit, um, t- a little insight into how you got into this industry and and how. Some of your own tools maybe have helped you out.
1: Of course, yeah. I was graduating in 2008 uh, with plenty of student loan debt, six figures to be exact, 120,000 U.S. dollars, and in uh, in the midst of the Great Recession. You know, great time to be looking for work, David. (laughs) Uh, With a massive problem around our neck. You know, that debt payment um, didn't care if it was a recession or not, or if I was employed or not. The banks had complete control over my wife and I's cash flow. Yeah. Uh and I was also working with a CPA trying to I was loving personal finance saw it as a passion of mine a side project whatever but it really got interesting when I saw most traditional financial plans were melting down like a house of cards basically in the midst of 2008's uh, wreck and that really drove me to find other financial solutions that weren't tied to Speculative investments, uh, and ended up getting my CFP, trying to understand how the financial universe works. Uh, the Certified Financial Planner designation takes a couple of years, or at least it took me a couple of years to get. Uh, and all along the way, I was learning some pretty counterintuitive financial concepts that really bucked the trends. Let's say of um, classically trained CFPs like myself.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was
1: sort of a come to Jesus moment at some point. You know, sort of a, uh, a wake up call that. Uh, not all is, uh, is right in the traditional uh, financial planning mindset uh, doesn't necessarily uh, bring us to the most, oh, financially sane uh, resolutions.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is all part of the story. I mean, I guess basically in the 70s, 80s, almost all the Western countries, they moved away from sort of these pension type ideas where mm-hmm. you're guaranteed a certain amount of money because you worked someplace. To, to you having to become your own investment advisor or working with other people, putting your money into essentially things that derive from equity values and then these go up and down, right? So right, yeah, I'm very familiar with what you're talking about because you know I've, I've had investments that have gone up and down. So basically what you're saying is people were investing for the future, their investments went down, you said that there's something wrong about this because if you're planning for the future, you should be looking at things that are always going to go up.
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, Imagine, how do we call it financial planning if we have no clue what our net worth is going to be when we tap into our retirement? I mean, how can you call that a plan, right? Isn't that just guessing? I mean, sure, we might have nice projections and uh, Monte Carlo scenarios and, you know, whatever else, Um, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a big fat guess, and I had unfortunately the the, you know the I guess the uh, obligation to listen to my CPA who I worked for in 2008, nine and ten, calling up clients saying I've lost you. I'm sorry, Mr. Client, but I've just lost you half your life savings, and here you are, 62 years old. You cannot retire like we thought you could. That to me felt like uh, a sham. Uh, I hate to say it that bluntly, but um, that's sort of where life took me. And then I sort of got the entrepreneurial bug and started a business. Uh, I don't know if that's a cure or uh, or a disease, (laughs) but I love the the step away from kind of the W2 mindset and started to grow this business Uh, and then have since started to help others uh, grow and invest their businesses and even buy and sell businesses as well, uh, which I know is what you help clients do all day long.
0: Yeah. And you know, not knowing what the end is going to look like. I, you know, here's, here's the, you know, all the, and this is what has always bothered me because um, and, and when I was younger, I put money into RRSPs here in Canada. Mm-hmm. That's what we yep. call it. The same as a 401k plan. Um, And I was always told this is smart because you are going to reduce your tax bill. And then as, and I thought that was great. You know, who doesn't love a check? Right. Mm-hmm. So, right started to do that. And then as I got older and I started to realize that my future is tied to businesses that I'm operating. And I started to, when I was operating as a business broker, I started to meet people selling businesses. And what I found Mm -hmm. fascinating is that they were all tended to be older than we imagine are the traditional retirees. They weren't 65 wanting to sell their business. They were 75 and 77. Right. And so, so I was thinking, wait a minute, I've been putting money into this RRSP to avoid taxation today because I was told when it comes back out and it's taxable later, I'll have a lower tax bracket. But now I'm not sure that's true. Because if I'm, if I'm still in business at 70 years old, earning money and then I have to take money out of these things, it's going to be taxed at the highest rate. And when we see, you know, and I, I know that I've got some trolls in my audience who are going to complain about this political stuff, but when we see governments run consistent, Um, deficits, it is only a guarantee of one thing, which is higher taxes in the future. Right. Because if if the public debts grow bigger, it means that governments of the future will have to have more income to pay the service on those debts. So Mm -hmm. I think that if you're planning on a future with lower taxation, you have to really consider what your future may actually look like and who may be considered the wealthy then. Because we always like to tax the rich, right? (laughs)
1: <laughs> hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Sorry, um, right. I'll, get know, who, no, I'll get I mean, off the soapbox. No, I mean you're you're exactly right, David. I mean, you know, uh, if you know, if we believe taxes are going to go up even one percent more than they are today, um, it's better mathematically to put money in after-tax accounts, and there's only a few of those left uh, in in the developed countries, um, whereas everything else is tax deferred. Well, what's right. what does the word defer even mean? Well, it means put off until later. If if you put off a root canal until the future, you know, that's not a smart idea <laughs> most of the time, right? So I think um, I'm spot on with you for sure. I mean, uh, they aren't going to tax people without money. They're going to tax people with money. And that right. is squarely between the eyes of the entrepreneur or anybody who's been successful over their careers.
0: Okay. So a lot of the times when you appear on shows, you talk about being your own banker and and the idea in a nutshell, just because I want to get into more detailed mm-hmm. stuff. The idea, in a nutshell, is you buy a whole life policy. It builds a cash value over time, and then if you need money for something, you can go to the life insurance company and you can borrow money from them with your policy being the collateral. And then you repay it, and then it, you know you have your policy still there. It's almost like you build this nest egg that you can keep going back to. So, mm-hmm. so my questions are: are these is is how if you if you buy a whole life policy instead of a term policy? Just what kind of growth of that cash value is realistic? Because that's, that's what I talked with my guy about.
1: Yeah, very good. And it, it does come down to what did your guy understand when he or she engineered the whole life policy for you? Uh, I hate to say it so bluntly, but not all insurance agents are created equal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does take a fair bit of expertise and nuance. In fact, uh, alongside my CFP, I got an accreditation uh, certification with Bank on Yourself. Uh, Bank on Yourself has an authorized advisor program that uh, has trained roughly 200 advisors across the U.S. and Canada uh, that are explicitly um, experts in this nuanced form of whole life insurance. It's a modernized, very efficient, low commission form of whole life insurance. I can get whole life from over 10,000 whole life insurance agents. There's 10,000 life insurance agents in the United States alone. It's probably more in Canada, 10,000. Now, not every one of those folks has any clue what we're talking about right now, even though they have a life insurance license. I'm sure you could probably imagine there's plenty of real estate agents that don't know how to do particular forms of commercial real estate, for example. So anyway, the bank on Yourself authorized advisor program is one of the best Kind of litmus test. I kind of compare it to the USDA organic, and maybe there's something like that in Canada too. It's mm-hmm. the label on the the food that helps you know that you're getting what you expected to get. So that all you have to do is get the policy that you want from the advisor who was trained correctly, uh, so you you don't have to worry about was this designed right or not. But to your to your question, uh, yeah, the the policies themselves have some insurance expenses, even when we design them from the get-go as a cash-efficient financial management tool, the high cash value life insurance, uh, using the paid-up additions writer. David, uh, oftentimes the the returns are going to be negative in the first two, three, four years, let's say, cash-on-cash return. Somewhere around that year three or four or five, you start to see a positive yearly cash increase above your contribution. So, to, to and for those, those that really want to go deep, I've got a podcast episode 32. Let's see. I'm sorry. Episode 36 of our show, Not Your Average Financial Podcast, mm-hmm. has on the show notes, like literally, here's exactly what it costs. Here's what it grows to year over year. We use a 35-year-old male, but you can adjust up or down. You don't have to be um, young or old to be included in this. You can really be of any age. But those show notes on that particular episode, episode 36, really gets into it and shows you exactly what it grows to.
0: Let me ask you a very specific question then. And because, you know, let's, let's use a round figure of somebody who wants to be able at some point down the road to be able to borrow a hundred thousand dollars from this policy to make a down payment on purchasing a business. Mm -hmm. So what kind of time span would that person need to be holding the policy for and what kind of monthly premium would they be putting in, in order to get themselves into that kind of position? Cause I, I, I want to create in people's minds sort of an idea of how this might work because I get emails all the time from people who are in their twenties or leaving school and they, mm-hmm. they want to buy a business, but they've got that student loan debt problem that you talked about that you had, or they know that they need to spend some time in the working world, developing skills and stuff before they do this. Right. And, and so give us an idea of what that kind of timeline looks like.
1: I'll give you two case studies because again, okay. each, bri- each bridge is engineered differently to the, to the environment. Similarly, each policy is going to be engineered specifically to the client that we're working with. Uh, so I'll give two different quick case studies. I'll keep it brief. Okay. Let's say a gentleman or a, um, a lady has you know, 150 grand in cash. Maybe it's sitting in an old brokerage account or a savings account. And it's just kind of their dry powder for opportunities like buying a business. You could take that $150,000, put it into a life insurance policy designed for maximum cash accumulation. And, you know, I'm just giving you round numbers here, but maybe there's $110,000, $115,000 in cash value within 30 days of starting the policy. The, and the rest,
0: the rest is the premium on the, the life insurance benefit. Okay. Correct. If, yeah. If maybe die, that's a rough your, estimate. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. die, your heirs your would get the other...
1: Correct. Yeah. If you pass away, maybe again, depending on your age and health and habits, maybe that's a $2 million death benefit just to, just for sake of example. Okay. Um, okay so we've got $115,000 of cash value and $2 million of death benefit if if we're keeping up with the, the numbers there. Let's say we borrow against that 115,000 bucks. We borrow out a hundred grand to go buy that business. Okay. What happens next is really interesting. Um, so we've got we've got the we've got the business generating cash flow doing whatever it was going to do maybe that's a you know give me a number here maybe 10% cash on cash return or 50% cash on cash return whatever the business is going to do and at the same time the policy is still earning dividends and interest on the entire $115,000 even the 100 grand that you borrowed against to go right. buy that business and that's really where the magic comes in and why i believe this is better than even just paying cash for anything, whether it's a, a car or a business or other big purchases.
0: So the the, the money in the policy keeps growing, mm-hmm. but obviously there's some kind of interest expense on the money you borrowed or on, the, on this new debt, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. The insurance company itself sees your loan as a part of their overall general investment account uh, uh, and part of their portfolio. So they're going to charge a loan interest rate. Now, what's interesting here, David, is, if the policy was issued by the right kind of company and designed correctly, again, I keep going back to, you have to work with the right advisor here. Yep. Um, if it was designed correctly, the, the, the insurance company is co-owned by all of the policyholders. It's sometimes called a mutual life insurance mm-hmm. company rather than a publicly traded one. In which case, any interest that's charged on policy loans, which is nominal, usually it's, let's say it's a 5% simple interest, Okay. So simple interest over four years, the APR on that David might be about 2% APR. So we're looking at fairly low cost of money uh, to borrow against that. Uh, So 2% over four years, let's just say if you paid the loan off to the policy over four years, that might be a 2% APR. But that interest along with all the other profits and whatever else the insurance company is doing with their general fund is coming back in your pocket, my pocket as owners of that company. Nobody else is right. a shareholder of this besides you and me, the policyholders.
0: So if you look at the insurance regime as a, a little ecosystem, there's no investor class siphoning money off the top. It's, it's, it's staying Correct. within this ecosystem. So yeah. if, if it's a mutual company, if it's, if it's publicly
1: traded, company. then it's going to go to the shareholders on Wall Street or wherever. Mm-hmm.
0: So the, 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 the money that's growing in the policy, so the 110,000 initial value, I put in 150, it's got $110,000 cash value now it grew at a certain percentage. So once it's grown, it can never go back?
1: Correct. It's a guaranteed cash value increase of of your money every single year for the rest of your life. And every year that it gives you a gain that is locked in and guaranteed for the rest of your life. In other words, it can never go down. It can never go backwards in terms of the interest and the growth in the cash. Correct. Uh, No, no. It's a guaranteed increase in your cash every single year.
0: Uh, so a guaranteed increase or a specific guaranteed increase, like a specific amount?
1: Yeah, there's a, well, it's a contractual interest rate guarantee. So it's a specific dollar amount that's increased on a, on a rate that gets you from, it's actually going all the way back to actuarial science. Like, you know, these are the, the nerds of the nerds in the, in the, on the school mm-hmm. recess, right? But actuarial math says by, by contract law, your cash value must equal your death benefit by age one twenty one, and so what that means is today we have a small cash value relatively of one hundred and what would we say one hundred and ten thousand dollars in our example.
0: So it's got it's going to two million.
1: It's going to grow to two million over our lifespan, whatever your age is. And again, everyone's age and numbers are going to be different. You don't have to put in one hundred and fifty thousand. It might be double that. It might be half that. Whatever. So but what is the be, insurance
0: company? What is the insurance company investing in then? Because mm-hmm. if 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 they put their money in the same kind of things that the 401k investments are in, they could have a loss. So mm-hmm. are, they have a different sort of investment uh, field that they're, they're choosing from.
1: It's a really smart question. Not many people ask me that question, David, so I'm glad you bring it up. I'm glad you came. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so, you know, they're still in the universe that the rest of us are in. Insurance companies have to pick and choose carefully. Now here's where things get really cool. And I'll, I'll try to go over this quickly, but then we can dive deeper if you want to. Yeah. Uh, life insurance companies are some of the biggest bond purchasers in the universe, in the world anyway, and they have uh, a specific and strict guideline to not lose capital because you know they've got a promise to pay. They've literally got a contract uh, and a liability on their books. That $2 million in our original example, that's an asset to your family and to your business, uh, but it's a liability to XYZ insurance. Right. Right. So they've got to find a way to get that cash value to grow to the death benefit. And uh, let's pull over for a minute. Let's talk about banks, and then we'll come back to life insurance companies. So uh, a, a bank, if I put ten thousand dollars, let's say, if I put ten thousand bucks into a bank, how much of that ten thousand is going to be kept on their books, and what of that is going to be loaned out to everybody else? It's about if it's a well-reserved bank. Um, big mega banks have to keep only ten percent of my ten grand on their books, meaning they've got a thousand bucks on their, on their books and they've loaned nine grand out to the guy behind me in line. And that's supposedly I, the safe place, right? To keep our cash.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the way that fractional reserve banking works, if you put mm-hmm. 10,000 into one bank, it gets loaned out, but that becomes a deposit into another bank. Exactly. So $10,000 deposit ends up creating $100,000 of new money through all the lending and deposits as it goes through the economy. Yep. So Yep so you know when when a bank has a loan loss it it hurts because it it basically affects the equity position of the bank so mm-hmm. the the insurance company obviously can't face that kind of exposure they right? cannot
1: inflate the money supply like banks can and i think that's one of the key reasons why i believe life insurance companies are at least 10 times safer than a bank in terms of putting your money in a safe place now what does that mean okay they cannot uh, fractionally reserve their money. In fact, if I put 10,000 bucks into a life insurance policy, well, that created a death benefit larger than my 10 grand that they would have to pay the claim on if I croak this afternoon. Right. right? So that's a, you know, a more than 100% on reserve, which is a big, big, big deal if you need safe cash, which most business business owners do. So once the insurance company has that money, the premium that we send in, They put it to work. And there's usually a team of bond investors and certified financial analysts that are diversifying their portfolio, the general fund. It's really our portfolio since we're the owners of that pool. Right. And that pool of money, David, might be 10 to 50 billion Mm dollars large, possibly larger, depending on the size of the company. But most mutually owned companies are running that ship pretty disciplined. And in fact, I don't recommend an insurance company that hasn't paid the guarantee. Um, or ha- if they've ever missed the guarantee, I never do business with them. If, if they haven't shown profits above the guarantee for at least a century, I also don't do business with those companies. I want a company that's got paid above those guarantees for at least a century including the the great depression
0: so well, that was going to be my ma- my next question is if it was if somebody signed up 20 years ago and they were told in their policy that they were going to get a 7% return every year mm-hmm. in today's world you know you, you you can't get that kind of return with sovereign bonds you know government bonds and things negative like interest this. rates mm-hmm. and, and some of the governments are issuing negative ones right so the money shrinks so so my question was if they simply can't get the return, they promise what happens and you've answered that, they default on the promise in the contract. They mm-hmm. say, look, we promised you seven, we can only give you 6.2 or whatever. And so they don't hide that loss and try to make it up later, they, they're upfront with it. They're like, this hasn't happened. Yeah. And so as, an, as a policy holder, I just have to take that lump, like I, basically. Well,
1: so again, you are guaranteed a cash increase of your money uh, and they keep it at a pretty conservative number. I see 4% net present value uh, of the cash value growing to your death benefit over your lifetime, something in that vicinity. But that necessarily isn't the same thing as, say, a CD or a money market account earning 4%. Because remember, there is an insurance expense. In the first few years, you have a negative um, you know, return on your capital, let's say. Yeah, but there's, over, there's always
0: someone who, who buys this thing and then they do end up passing on early. And, and obviously, that mm-hmm. takes money out of the pool,
1: right? Exactly, which is a great rate of return. You know, We're talking double-digit returns, but we don't want you to go do that, right? That's not a great way to <laughs> earn investment is to die, right? Uh, but yeah, the, the insurance company itself has a guarantee, uh, which is supported by the contract itself. It's what's known as unilateral contract law. And that means the insurance company wrote the contract, they're on the hook, and the court would favor on your side of the ledger, David, as a policyholder, that they have to support and uphold what they wrote in that contract. Now, if the insurance company isn't profitable, uh, they still have all of our cash on reserve to cover their guaranteed obligations to you and me. Remember, they've got our death benefit ready to go if I croak this afternoon. So they've got more than the money I pay into that policy on reserve if I pass away this afternoon. If they are profitable, then that's where dividends and uh, uh, you know, additional dividends are paid out to the policyholders.
0: So we started this example by saying, if you had $150,000 in cash and you did this, this is how you start. So let's say I don't, let's say I'm 24 Mm -hmm. and I would like to have that $110,000 of cash value. And I know it depends on the individual and they probably have to do a health exam of some kind, you know, when they go through life insurance, but you know, what kind of monthly premium would someone pay over how long a period of time to build themselves up to this position to, mm. where they could borrow that $100,000 policy loan.
1: Yeah, it starts wherever you are. You know, like I just mentioned in, in our first case study, someone who dumped in 150 and was ready to go right away. You could start at a couple hundred bucks a month. Obviously, it's going to take, you know, proportionally longer to get to uh, whatever number, but you don't have to wait till you have a hundred grand to use this policy. No, so for example, my my wife and I, our first two policies were 500 bucks a month each. And we plugged some money into there for a couple of months. And I believe our first time we used it, it was actually to cover some healthcare care expenses. Uh, you know, as you know, here in the, in the backwaters United States, we still have to pay for medical care. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, and we had to come up with some money. I think my wife broke her foot or something. And we used a policy loan, right, of a couple thousand bucks to cover that okay. expense. And, you know, it, was, it, it saved us. It helped us out. Uh, and we've used it to buy cars. We've used it to... You know, uh, invest in our own business and grow, you know, grow our business and and go on vacations. I mean, imagine going on a vacation where the policy is still growing as if we hadn't gone on vacation. That's like a no guilt trip, you know. Mm. Uh, so, just some so, ideas there.
0: So, obviously, someone's going to have to talk to someone qualified if if they want to, if they can foresee in their own personal budget that they can afford, or they're doing some investing of some kind right now, and they might want to change how they're investing the money. Then they they can look at this plan and they could they could. Make a plan to do this kind of thing. The, the other thing that came up in the other podcast I, I listened to is the whole idea that your business itself, the corporation, um, would own the policy mm-hmm. and that would provide certain options at the end of your career as a business owner. You want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Yeah. That's, that's another whole uh, part of the world we could talk about. And maybe another part two might be in order here if need be. But yeah, in simple form, the policy could be owned by anybody. Personally, you know, for your own needs, and you can loan that cash to your business for certain needs that your business might have. And now you are the banker to your business. Talk about a guaranteed line of credit when all other, you know, competitors in your industry are begging a bank and banks aren't lending, and you've got a ready source of opportunity cash that's going to make you more competitive. Okay, so that's if you personally own your policy. But imagine if you, if your business owned the policy. Now you've got a policy. You've got an asset inside your business that's sellable to whoever you buy, whoever buys your business someday. Let's say that you have you've built up enough cash value where you've got a million bucks in cash value and four million dollar death benefit as an example. Okay, death benefit and cash value both grow as the years go on, so that should be noted, keeping up with inflation. Now you've got this. Let's say what I say: million dollar or two million dollar asset in cash value and a four million dollar death benefit you could go to a buyer. You're the owner of the business. You walk over to the, to the possible buyer and you say, hey, Mr. Buyer, I've got such and such equipment. I've got such and such brand recognition. Uh, here are my checking account savings. And oh, by the way, I have this $2 million you know, lump sum of cash that you can take. And by the way, when I die 30 years from now, you're gonna, your business that, I, that I'm selling to you today will inherit a, a multi-million dollar death benefit uh, with all the benefits that come with that cash. Uh, so it's a windfall. Even if I retire, leave, uh, that death benefit remains on the business books, unless they choose to sell me that policy outright as a golden parachute of sorts.
0: Okay. So would the business though, if they kept it, they'd have to keep up the premium payments. And obviously
1: maybe, yeah, there's a way, in fact, there's an intention with most of our clients to stop funding the policy at some point. So it's, you know, it's, it's possible. And even, you know, planned that most of the clients would eventually stop funding the policy but david think of it this way where else are they going to put where else is that business going to put liquid available predictable cash where every single year they f- they capitalize their account it gets more and more efficient so at that point let's say it's 25 years 30 years into the policy's life and they're they're pumping in you know an annual amount let's say it's 100 grand a year for example and the cash is increasing at that point by three times what they're putting into the policy, where else are they going to put cash where it's going to do that kind of, uh, of growth mm. and it still be liquid without any market risk. So most businesses are usually pretty happy to keep paying the premium, uh, which is counterintuitive to a lot of folks, but it's definitely possible to stop funding it if you know, we're in a cash flow crunch situation.
0: You know, it, it, it's interesting because normally when you're operating a business, if if there is excess cash, then you start to think, well, is there a way I can use this to grow the business or mm-hmm. can I just take it out for myself, you know, as yep. as an extra bonus dividend, et cetera, for myself as the owner. And what you're talking about is introducing a whole new sort of opportunity of exploration, uh, thinking about the future, what someone might want to do with that money and that could open up new and different doors. I know there's one example I read in an article before the interview today where it was talking about corporate-owned insurance um, mm-hmm. being used to provide the money to pay taxes you know, in a succession plan. For example, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if you were intending to sell your business to your children uh, and yep. you, you wanted you know, to make it easier for them, for example, there's all kinds of ways you could plan this uh, around insurance that the insurance company is paying the premium on.
1: Hmm. Exactly. Well, you you know all about business valuation, and uh, the coordinated efforts of buying and selling businesses. You know the imagine the life insurance is just one more asset on the balance sheet when we're negotiating the price. And all of a sudden, um, as soon as the buyer realizes how powerful that liquid, predictable asset is, they can either choose to keep it as a part of the business that they're buying from the seller. Or they can say, hey, seller, you know, you've, you've kept up the premiums on this policy for many years. We're going to give this to you as a, um, as a benefit, a part of the sale of your business, and you can take that out as income for your retirement. And now you've, you as the, the seller of the business that you've grown and enjoyed over the years, now you've got this liquid, you know, um, some, in some cases, tax-free uh, cash value that you can withdraw out over your retirement years. Um, and, all of, and, and there's some great examples of this. Uh, you know, who's, uh, who's the Michigan football coach, um, Harbaugh? He was recently given a, 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 it's a $3 million a year premium into a life insurance policy that he'll eventually take out. Um, multi-million dollars income tax-free mm-hmm. in the United States anyway. Uh, and so there's all sorts of ways you can structure this. Again, without any market risk. You would, we're not having to buy and sell stocks or whatever. Um, yeah,
0: I, yeah. I, I read another article a few months ago. There's a certain provision in the U.S. tax code where companies can buy these policies for executives. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and, and you know, make paying the interest or the taxes on them uh, sort of like a, a set of golden handcuffs. If you have a, right. a person you want to keep in your business until the end, and the whole deal is, if you stay until retirement, then you get this policy. Otherwise, you have to start picking up the expenses related to it and, and yep. certain special tax treatment for that. And we won't get into that um, because I'm not an expert on, or yep. have done enough research about that. But uh, very interesting, very interesting, Mark, uh, conversation. Um, and if people are curious and they want to learn more, where, where can we find more information and, uh, and maybe connect with you and your podcast?
1: Yeah, thanks, David. Yeah, the uh, Not Your Average Financial Podcast is our show. Uh, and for those that want to reach out and chat with me or one of my colleagues, again, we have uh, um, relationships with advisors that are bank on yourself authorized and can give you exactly what we've been describing here. There's so many Me Too advisors out there people who've Googled this or looked this up and think they know what they're talking about, you you really need to be careful because you can end up getting a much more commission-heavy or taxable policy. Uh, I've seen it more times than I can count. So I would recommend check, out, check us out. SolutionToCashflow.com is the best website where you can go for a US or Canada-based advisor who's bank-on-yourself trained. Uh, that's SolutionToCashflow.com.
0: The number two or TO?
1: Both. Either one works. Oh, okay. Perfect.
0: All right, Mark. Thank you so much. And uh, remember everyone, uh, when you do save up your money and you want to buy a business, just head on on over to businessbuyeradvantage.com where you can uh, learn how to do it wisely and not make some awful, awful mistakes. And with that, we'll see you later and uh, we'll talk to you next time.